you take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 95, and then as you do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, if we could, please. Father, thank you for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, you did not save us to sit and soak and sour. You saved us to worship and to praise you and to give glory to your name because of your great salvation extended to us as sinners saved by the gracious life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I thank you that Jesus didn't come to die so that we could be impressed. Jesus came to die to turn worshipers out of prodigals. And Lord, all of us have been in our own pig pens. But help us to come to our senses and get in the Father's house where there's forgiveness and mercy and joy and peace and power beyond anyone's explanation. Lord, use the remainder of this hour in the way that pleases you as we look in your word. Give us a sense of what it was like in those early days of the early church and in the worship around the temple so that you can expand our borders, increase our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Something electric happened when the early church met. They didn't have printing press. They didn't have an order of worship. They, they didn't have lights or sound or electricity or air conditioning or anything. But something happened in that place because they believed God was going to show up. Most of our definitions and evaluations of worship today are not biblical. They are based on our culture. They are based on our personal taste. They are based on the way we were raised. But we must go back to the Word of God to find out what worship is and to find out how God wants us to worship him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you up front. I waited a while in the early service, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. God is stretching me out of my comfort zone, okay? He's stretching my rubber band. He's rattling my cage. He's making me uncomfortable. As I study his word, he keeps taking me back to, are you doing what you want to do, or are you doing what I want you to do? Are you doing what you think people think you ought to do, or are you doing what I've told you to do in the Word? You see, the Word sheds a lot, sheds a lot of light on my worship. The Word shows me what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live, and quite honestly, I don't match up to the Word all the time. Now, our standard is the Word of God. It's not what we've always done. It's not what we're going to do in the future. It's not what we're doing today. It's the Word of God. It's as old and as ageless and contemporary as anything we can understand. It would take us a lifetime to figure it out. Listen, worship is not about doctrine. Worship is about God. And when we get our priority on God, then we begin to understand what worship is. Let me tell you what the priority of the church is. The priority of the church is not evangelism. I was sitting on the front row while we were singing, saying, Now, Lord, what if I don't give a regular invitation? 
I'm going to tell you something, folks. The Holy Spirit draws those he wants to come. And if people want to be saved and the Holy Spirit's knocking on their door, you can't stop them from getting saved. You see, Isaiah became an evangelist only after he went into the temple and saw the Lord high and lifted up. The priority of the church is not missions, and yet Southern Baptists are very mission-minded. But you see, missions without the worship of God is nothing more than social work. The priority of the church is not discipleship and teaching. For teaching without a love and a heart for God is nothing more than cut flowers with no roots. The purpose of the church is not even to assemble on Sunday and sing songs and go through the order of worship and hear a message. The priority of the church is one thing, the exaltation of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the effectiveness of our church is not measured by how good our missions, our evangelism, our discipleship, and our teaching and our preaching is. The effectiveness of our church is measured by how much are we becoming like Jesus Christ. You and I must become to understand that worship is a privilege. God has given us the privilege of worshiping Him. Now the term worship means to attribute worth to. I attribute to God the worth do him worship is not for me worship is what god has done in and of himself god is totally sufficient he does not need my worship but he offers me the opportunity to come before him and to bow down before him and to worship him with all my heart now the prominent hebrew word of the four words that is used means to bow down or to pay homage it is a word that is used to bow before a superior or before a ruler. It's used 170 times in the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, 8, Moses bowed down and worshipped. You know the picture that, that it just grabs me of those who are around Jesus when he walked his earth in his human form, not in his exalted form as we worship him today, but in his human form was the women who kissed what that word means it means to bow down and to humble the greek word means to kiss toward or to reverence to kiss toward or to reverence let me ask you have you gotten close enough to god that you just feel like embracing him and kissing him well i'm kind of reserved well that's your problem you're kind of reserved and god's got his arms open with nails in them and you're kind of reserved your problem is you haven't gotten a hold of how much God loves you. Look at the cross and tell me you don't want to embrace that. Look at the cross and tell me that you can't love that. Look at the cross and tell me that you're too good, too proud, or too dressed up to get on your face before God and kiss his feet for even thinking for a moment that you are worthy enough of his only son. God loved us and gave himself for us and we are to worship him and bow down the other word the greek word is means to serve or to re render religious service or ministry or homage it is attitude and it is action it is that which is personal and passionate it is a response of all god is and all god does your worship my worship is to be a response of all god is and all god does now look at the first half of that definition by Warren Wiersbe. Worship is the believer's response of all that he is, mind, emotions, will, and body, 
to all that God is and says and does. Now let me ask you, if that is a true definition of worship and it's a very accurate biblical definition of worship, to attribute the worth, to have all that you are, mind, body, soul, and spirit, worship all that God is, let me ask you something, have you ever really worshipped? Have you ever really, have you ever poured everything you have into worshiping God for everything he is? Well, I, I usually try to sing that second verse, even whether I know it or not. You know, for some of us, it's a strain to pick up the worship folder or the hymnal and sing the songs about the God who loves us that much. My friends, listen. If you don't worship now, you ain't going to like it in heaven because that's all we're going to do there. And if you're not comfortable with singing songs to God now, I, you hadn't got any promise he's going to give you a new voice, he's going to give you a new body, but you may have the same old ugly voice you got right now. And I'm going to have to listen to you for all eternity. I just couldn't get broken in right now. I mean, we're to worship God. Look at what the psalm says in verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Anybody remember singing anything about that today? God of all God, King of all kings, greater than all the other gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountain are his also, the sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. These five psalms, Psalm 95 through 100, were temple worship songs. They were written for the celebration and praise of God in the temple ceremony. And their theme, if you read all five of the Psalms, 95 through 100, is the sovereignty of God. And because God is sovereign, he is to be exalted. There is a glad worship that is to be given to God. Look at the invitation, verses 1 and 2. Let us. This is a call to corporate worship. People who say, well, I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to come to church to do it, are violating a direct command of Scripture. The New Testament says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I know you can worship God on a boat. I can worship God on a golf course. But I'm going to tell you, I have a command to worship God with the body of Christ. Let us gather together. Four times, he says, we are to come into his presence and come for his praise. Now, three things. Now, your notes are not right, so just stay with me. All right? Number one, the method of worship. The method of worship. Look at verse one. Sing and shout. Verse 2, come and shout. What? Now, I don't know. Somebody forgot to tell God. But you can be reverent and loud. I, I remember when I was in Oklahoma, I had people come up to me and say, Pastor. And you always know when they say, Pastor, you, you know you're in trouble. They come up to me and say, Pastor said, would you make an announcement and tell everybody to quit talking before church because the, the scripture says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Yeah, it does. But the Bible also tells that the saints should come together and what better place for fellowship. I tell you, bars are loud. Why isn't the church loud? 
People are loud at ball games, screaming at people they don't know, making exorbitant salaries. Why do we feel embarrassed to be loud in church? I mean, you know what we do? Somebody makes a great point and we go, Amen. You think anybody heard that? Amen. You think anybody heard that? I hope nobody heard me do that. I'd be embarrassed if anybody knew I responded in church today. You can be loud and worship. He says, sing and I just, I, I, I want to tell you something. Next person that comes up to me says, I just think that sometimes we just get too loud. I'm going to say, I want to hear you go to a ball game and I'm going to sit by you and re- hear you go, go team, go. Win team, win. Fight team, fight. Two bits, four bits, six bits a dollar. All for our team. Sit down and be quiet. Look at secondly, the mind of worship. Joyfully and with thanksgiving. Where in the world did we get the idea that worship's supposed to be boring and dull? I watched a worship service on television when I lived in Fort Worth and the pastor preached on why Baptists have business meetings. No wonder people stay away in droves. Who cares? You know what the business of the church is? Worship. If the only thing you think about business of the church is what the bottom line looks like, you hadn't gotten to God's bottom line yet. The business of the church is the worship of God. And he says, joyfully and with thanksgiving. Why? Because it's a response to revelation. It's a response to what God has said to us and what God has done for us. And we respond joyfully and with thanksgiving. Yes, our week's been bad. Yes, maybe your life's been bad. But there is a joyful response to the revelation of God. Not joy in the forms. Joy in Jesus. The forms don't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's a great hymn of the church or a brand new chorus that you've never heard or the choir or a soloist or a prayer time or the offering. The forms are not the issue. It's the exaltation of Jesus Christ that's the issue. Look at Alexander McLaren. Now this guy, Alexander McLaren, is considered one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. And God got a hold of his life. He was an Englishman. He preached at the turn of the century around the time that Spurgeon preached. And he said the invocation of praise in verses 1 and 2 gives a striking picture of the joyful tumult in the temple worship. Shrill cries of gladness, loud shouts of praise, songs with musical accompaniment. I told the band they liked that part. They, they underlined that part and put it in bold. Rang simultaneously through the court and, the West, and to western ears would have sounded as bedlam rather than music and more exuberant than reverence. Listen, folks, the absence of joy is one of the greatest accusations God's going to have against the church. Is our absolute absence of joy in the great God of our salvation. Now look at the subject of worship. He says, to the Lord, the rock of our salvation, to him. Who's our worship to? One another? Are we singing for one another? Are we praying for one another? No, we're doing it to the Lord, the rock of our salvation which is a picture of God's might and God's mercy. You need stable footing? The rock of our salvation. You need mercy? He hides me in the cleft of the rock. God's might and God's mercy is the subject of our worship. Now look at the foundation in verses 3 through 5 because the psalmist is moving from method to motive. And he says in the bottom line, he is a great God, an awesome and incredible God. This is a passage on the sovereignty of of God, the sovereignty of God. Look at what he says. He is above all gods. He's a great God. Amen? Amen. 
Well, I tell you what, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. Amen. He's a great God. Amen. Amen. He's the God above all gods. Amen. Amen. I mean, is there anybody like him? Can anybody get in a room with him? When you line up all the gods of this earth, can anybody get in a room with our God? No way. No way. He is the sovereign God. Look, in whose hand, singular, I love that because we sing this old song, he's got the whole world in his hand. He doesn't need two hands to hold the world. All state may need it, but he doesn't. <laughs> in whose hand, singular, are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains, are his also, the sea is his. Three times in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 7, he talks about God's hand. He says he holds the depths, he forms the land, he protects the flock. Let me tell you something, folks. However deep you go, God is deeper still. He's holding you up when you hit rock bottom. However high you go, God is there and he is beyond that point. However strayed you feel, however fragmented you feel, however lost you might feel, he protects his flock. God's hand is around his flock and the scripture says nobody can snatch us out of his hand. That is the foundation on which we build our worship. Look at the exhortation. Worship and bow down and kneel in verse 6 and 7. Not because we fear him, not because he will punish us, but because we love him. Count Zinzendorf, the Moravian leader of the 18th century, said, I have but one passion. It is he and he alone. Notice these words, worship and kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. How's your kneeling time? Not before the crucifix, before the creator. Not before a preacher, before the shepherd. Not before some statue of a saint, before the one who saved you. How's your kneeling time? How's your worship time? Have you gotten before God and worshiped and bowed down? Or do you act like the Pharisee who says, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like everybody else. Hey, one of the greatest days in the life of Cottage Hill Baptist Church was when Fred Wolf preached on pride one Sunday and laid down on his face before his congregation to humble himself before God. We walk in and we strut in and we worry about what we look like. We worry about what people think. There's only one reason to walk in, to worship and bow down and to kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God. Look at the grave peril. There's a peril to not doing that for this force of this cause of true worship is driven by a warning in these verses, verse 7 through 11. God is calling for heart preparation and he's telling his people, this is what happens when people don't worship me. Look at verse 7. Today, if you would hear his voice. Now listen, we always use that. Every evangelist I know uses this at the invitation to tell lost people to get saved. These words were never meant for lost people. They're meant for God's people. Today, if you, Israel, if you, church, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden them as at Meribah and as the day of Massa in the wilderness when your fathers tested me and tried me, though they had seen my works. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. Three things. First of all, a peril. There is a peril to consider. This verse is repeated two times in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And there is a peril to consider, first of all, the time. Today. Today. The duty is to hear. 
The voice is his, and the danger is that you would harden your heart. The word today in the Hebrew stands first for emphasis. It means now. It represents a passing opportunity that you and I today have an opportunity to worship God. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast of tomorrow, for you don't know what tomorrow brings. You see, if you don't do it today, you've got one more day to repent of and one less day to repent in. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. I'm so sick of singing two verses with our arms crossed and go home. Well, is the invitation over? Dead gummit, it's after 12 o'clock and the preacher's only on the last of his three points. We more, worry more about stealing our gut than we worry about stealing this house of glory. And that's why our guts are bigger than our God. Four weeks ago, Andrew Rogers stood on this platform and sang Fill This House With Glory. She did not know that day that it would be the last time she would ever sing. When she stood here and with those expressive eyes and that expressive face and sang to the glory of God about the glory of God filling this house, she did not know that that would be her last today to stand on a platform and worship God. She had all her life to look forward to. And now she slipped into the presence of the Lord to sing for all eternity around her. Let me tell you something, my friend. Just a word of warning. If you think you can put off what God's told you to do one day, you may not have another day to have a chance. So I'm just not comfortable. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I want to respond. You know, I can just respond in my pew, but I'm going to tell you something. God never reveals his will for you to consider it. God only reveals his will for you to, to obey it. He doesn't want your debate. He doesn't want your discussion. He doesn't want your arguments. He wants obedience. And God has called us to remember what he has done for us. The word hear implies hearing in order to obey. Now, you can't soften your heart. Only the Holy Spirit of God can soften your heart. But you can harden it. And every time you sit through a worship service or you sit through an invitation and you say in any little area of your life, God, I'm not changing that. I'm not adjusting that. I'm not dealing with that. I won't worship you like you tell me to. I'm not going to open my Bible. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. You just put another wall between you and God. And the Word of God is clear today, right now, in this worship service. Not tonight. You may not have tonight. Today, right now, if you hear His voice, you better not put a wall up between you and God because I'm going to tell you something. He'll keep turning the volume down to the point where you'll never hear his voice again and you'll long for the day when you had a chance to hear it and you neglected it. There's a peril to consider. There's a pattern to avoid. Israel had just bellyached about God. These two words, Meribah, means striving and provoking. Massah means trial or temptation. They are names given to the same place and it is a, a nation that is guilty of unbelief. You know, they said, well, what's God done for us lately? even though, he says, they had seen my works. Hey, folks, the church needs to quit murmuring and start meditating. The church needs to quit pouting and start praising. The church needs to quit whining and start worshiping God. Why? Because of God's goodness, because of God's grace.
because of his mercy and his love and his leadership and his provisions and everything that God has done for us. Listen, if God never gives you another day of health, another day of happiness, another answered prayer, you have no reason to complain against God. I don't have any reason to complain in light of what God's done for me. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. If the bottom falls out of our lives, he's still God and we're still saved and there's still eternity in heaven. And that's worth praising him about. That's worth thanking him for. These people were guilty not only of doubt but of disobedience and they erred in their heart. Listen, your walk problem is a heart problem. Your life problem is a heart problem. And the heart wonders before the feet does. See, the penalty for failure to worship. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. They shall not enter. Folks, listen. Those who work, do not worship never find rest in their relationship with God. They're like Jacob, always wrestling, but never resting. They're always trying to deal with God at some point rather than yielding to God at every point. So they will not find rest. Can I tell you something? If miracles and manna won't make you praise God, milk and honey in the promised land won't make you praise him either. Look at that last quote by E.W. Tozer. Without worship, we go about miserably. Now, would you close your Bibles and just look this way for a moment? Without worship, we go about miserable. Would you say that with me? Without worship, we go about miserable. The most miserable people in this world are not people who went to the bars last night and woke up with a hang hangover. They may think they're the most miserable people in this world. But I'm going to tell you who the most miserable people in the world are. They are people who have gotten saved and gotten over it and forgotten the joy of their salvation and they're trying to live on both sides of the fence and they can't get there. They got just enough of Jesus to be miserable and just enough of the world to not be able to understand their relationship with Jesus. And they're trying to tread between both of those extremes. Listen, folks. However many more breaths God gives you, that's all you got left to worship God in this life. We're wasting a lot of time trying to keep our dignity and trying to honor our forms and trying to make sure we do all the right religious things, trying to make sure that we're dressed appropriately. We got some people in this church worrying more about young people wearing shorts on Wednesday night than they worry about young people going to hell. Shame on you. Shame on you. Thank God they're at least here. They could be out doing crack cocaine on the corner three blocks from here. We need to get our eyes off the junk that we keep looking at and get our eyes on Jesus and start seeing people like Jesus sees them. Not like we want to be. Nobody has to clean up to come to God. They just have to get humble before God. Now listen, God has saved us to worship and I am uncomfortable with where he's taken me. 
you uncomfortable with where he's taking you? But I know this. If I don't go to where he wants to take me, I'll be wherever I am by myself. And I can't face what's ahead by myself. i got to go where he's going, and I've got to get in on what he's in on. And i got to quit worrying about what you think or I think or anybody else thinks, and i just got to let God be God. Anybody else want to do that? Well, folks, I'm going to tell you, if you miss God, it's your fault. If you find God, it's his grace. Would you pray with me, please? The instruments are going to begin to play, and in a moment, Bill will sing, but this altar is open. I, I don't know what you need to do today. You may need to come and just kneel at this altar and pray. You may have a need that you want to give to the Lord. You may need to ask somebody to come pray with you. You may want to turn around in the pew that you're in like some did this morning and just take that pew that you've been sitting in and get on your knees before God and worship the Lord and thank Him for who He is and for what He's done. I don't know what you need to do. The altar is open. The doors of this church are open. You come right now. Don't wait on anybody else. While the instruments are playing, while God is speaking today, if you hear His voice, Harden not your heart. Do what God tells you to do. Respond to God's invitation. Don't wait. Do it now. Do what God says right now. Obey God right now.